I-94 on Lumpen Radio. Hey everybody, welcome once again to another edition of I-94 right here on WLPN. As always, my name is Mr. Jamie Trecker. I am joined by Mr. Jeremy Kitchen. Morning. And Mr. Michael Sack. Morning, Jamie. Today we're going to be talking with Julia Sanchez. She is the translator of a brand new book out from the Argentinian writer Dolores Reyes. It's called Earth Eater. It's out from Harper via Publishing. That's an imprint of Harper Collins, as you probably could have figured out on your own. Julia, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. So it's a little unusual that we talk to a translator uh, on the show. We've done it before. But uh, the book is actually fairly interesting. And I think one of the things I kind of wanted to start out with you, just for the benefit of our listeners who probably are not that familiar um, with the different types of dialects and different vernaculars of, of regional Spanish, could you take our listeners through maybe some of the challenges of translating a novel from Buenos Aires as opposed to, say, a novel that you might receive in Spanish from Mexico City or even from the Bronx? I think what was challenging about this book was less that it was set in Buenos Aires and more that it was set in, like, on the periphery of Buenos Aires, in the outskirts, in the um, slums, because the language there is, I guess, what some people might call non-standard and really rich with um, very location-specific vernacular that was, a lot of which was completely new to me, and I had to do a lot, uh, a good deal of research. And um, if you know Latin America at all, you know that we mostly communicate via WhatsApp, so the author and I would send each other WhatsApp messages and she would send me voice notes with explanations for certain expressions. Um, but I, I had done a book that was similarly vernacular before by a Brazilian author and I had landed on a philosophy which was to give the readers sort of stepping stones and um, language that was familiar while also creating new language that would place them somewhere else without it being, say, reminiscent of the kind of English spoken in, spoken in the Bronx. Um, I don't know if it was successful. I'd ho- I hope it was. Um, it's a bit risky and hard. I hope I, that answers a question. <laughs> I, I thought it was successful. I, I thought the... the book read very well um I, I wanted to let's talk a little bit about Dolores um I did a, you know I to be totally honest I wasn't aware of the femicide issue in Argentina I, I, we get a lot of news here you know of course from Mexico um I read a statistic yesterday it was like one woman is murdered every 32 hours um in Argentina and Dolores is a an activist and a writer um do you know much about Dolores can you tell us a little bit about her before we dig into the novel I probably know as much as you do. I know that she's from um, the outskirts of Buenos Aires, that she is the mother of seven, I believe. Yeah, I that. I that's a lot of kids. <laughs> she thanks them all at the end. I was like, wow, that's a big family. And I don't know if this is true or not, but I was told that she's very mysterious about who the fathers are, which is a position I would like to believe. Um she, yes, she's an activist um, from what I have seen in interviews and gathered from Instagram. She goes to all of the protests that are um, pro cho- pro-choice. So the, there was a law recently passed in Buenos Aires that stopped making abortion illegal, and she was at all the protests. Um, aside from that, I listened to her interview so that I could figure out the, the way she spoke, and she like the protagonist, is also sort of taciturn, and she chooses her words carefully. Um, but She also studied I, classical literature, right? That's, that, I think that's what it said in the bio? Yeah, yeah. I, I think in the bio it says she studied classical literature, and it, it kind of reminds me of the Ferrante books, if you've read them. You know, Ferrante, um, I think she studied classical literature as well, and she has her story set in the slums of Naples and it, it it's there's a lot of slang um but there's there's some there's a lot behind everything I, f- I found your translation to be uh, 
sparse, but in in a good way. There were you were, you were only showing, or we were only seeing the tips of things, and there was a lot of history and background to the characters that you didn't see, but you could you could feel. Um, I don't know if um, there were if her reading of classical literature like bolstered her her writing method or not, but it, it seemed like you were dealing with a pro. I was surprised that it was a first time author. Yeah, she, she also participated in some writing workshops with um, another very well-known Argentinian author called Selva Almada, who also has a very spare um, way of writing and sets a lot of her novels in, outside urban centers um, with very terse characters. Um, but you can definitely tell that she reads widely and has some training, but that she also takes a lot of her writing from ex lived experience. Like I can imagine her with some of her kids um, in the background and playing, uh, is it the PlayStation? They're playing Mortal yeah. Kombat on PlayStation. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You can definitely see that she's taken a lot of this from observation. Um, from from just watching young people and how they act and how they speak. Um, well, it's interesting. I, I was going to ask you how you were matched up with her, but um, I happen to be a big fan of Argentine comic books, which are fairly popular in that country. And it struck me reading your translation of her work, and I would have been interested to, to see it in the original Spanish. She... Um, her writing, at least in the way you presented it, struck me as very reminiscent of the procedurals, the police procedurals that make up a very big segment of Argentina's comic book publishing output. They're very kind of surreal and sparse. There's, I wouldn't call them magic realism. I time think is strange. Time is, is very odd, however, in these books. Um, you know, the um, there's a famous one that keeps getting rewritten and rewritten from Argentina that is called, um, and I'm going to mangle the name of it, but I believe it's the Earth Knot, uh, that there were, there were definite similarities in the way information was presented. And these are, you know, un unlike our comic books now in America, th these are million-selling things. You know, they're very popular on the streets there. They're all over the place. People do see them. And I, I wondered, as the mother of a number of young children, you know, how, if she was influenced by that, or if you guys had discussed that. And again, just coming back to my original question, were you guys matched by the publisher or was this a project that you had heard about and, and were interested in personally before you saw it? I, so to start with the comics, um, I can only assume from what you've said that maybe she was influenced. Um, I, it's not something that we spoke of, though, while I was translating, I was very aware of, to me, it has a sort of noir feel, Yeah. <laughs> even though there's magical realism to it, you know, if it's Latin America, people like to focus on the magical realism, but there's a sort of, um, I guess not hard-boiled detective quality, but the heroine acts almost more like a hard-boiled detective than anything else. Um, and in terms of how I was matched, so one of my jobs is to know what's being published. I read for literary scouts. Um, I know what's being published bef years before it's translated into English. And this book had been on my radar. And then the publisher reached out to me, I think, because of the work I had done translating The Sun on My Head by Giovanni Marchins, which also uses a lot of slang and vernacular. Um, and I translated a sample for them, and they really liked it and hired me to translate it. I wanted to focus on the fairness of the prose, on the fact that there's so little writing, but it contains so much mystery. Um, and I think that maybe that's what they liked about my sample. Uh, so going back to uh, something we were talking about a little bit earlier, we were talking about the uh, the the presentation and the characters. And one of the things that I really liked about a lot of times when you read literature that takes place in the slums or even like in the hood in Chicago or, or you know, they focus on like gangbangers or like criminals or drug dealers. And what I liked about this one is it, you know, although these kids, you know, definitely didn't have a smooth up or easy upbringing, they weren't, 
you know, these like hardened criminals. They were just kids like getting by, you know, and doing their thing. And like, like a lot of times, they, you know, they were, you know, getting stoned, drinking beer and playing video games like most kids in yeah. high school. They were they were kids without parents around. Yeah. Could be the suburbs. Yeah. And, and I was, you know, and that it was a very I thought it was a very realistic uh, presentation and. That was one of the, and you know, I've read a lot of reviews of the book, and people talked about the death and like her coming of age and sex and her relationship with the cop. But for me, it was just like I thought it was a great portrayal of just like of how kids behave. Like if I didn't have parents around, I would have been doing the same thing, except probably not playing video games. But you know, I just uh, I just wanted to point that out that that was something that when I read the book that I really. Uh, I, I focused on. Yeah, we we should probably give a little background to the story itself. Yeah, I mean, let's. I think that's a good place to start uh, before we take a break and actually listen to a little bit of the book and and Julia's translation. You know, Earth Eater is the story of uh, a group of kids and and one uh, woman in particular who has the ability to um, apparently communicate with uh, people who are absent. I don't want to say dead because that's not quite accurate by eating dirt that has been connected with them. Um, can you talk a little bit about this and and what because it, that that characterization the sebopathy that she exhibits is is kind of it's not really necessarily the main part of the book it's just a strange quirk that is used as kind of a trip to get her into various situations in in my opinion which I thought was actually great I, I thought if the whole thing had been kind of young woman doing magic I probably would not have been as personally interested in it I think that's um, one of the reasons the book is so episodic and the, there are so many temporal leaps and you actually have no idea how old the protagonist is at yeah. any time. She starts at seven-ish years old, maybe, and then moves on to an age at which she becomes um, sexual. But we don't know if that's 13 or 15 or 16 or 17. Yeah. Um, my main interest is was in the sort of solidarity of the younger characters, the sort of creation of family when family has been robbed of from you in various ways. Um, and I also liked the fact that things are s solved in not particularly dramatic ways she goes into this other world and she speaks to the people and sometimes she's able to save them. Sometimes she's able, she, they're already dead or can't be saved. And it's not treated with an enormous amount of drama. It's almost rote. Um, I can't remember. I, can't, I don't, I, can't, I don't know if I answered your question, but. Um, no, you did. And in fact, I think this is a good point here to actually, let's take a listen to your translation of the novel by Dolores Reyes. It's Earth Eater. It's out now from Harper Via. We're going to have a little segment. As always, we want to thank our reader, uh, Shanna Van Vold. She read this. And of course, thank the International Anthem Company for providing the background music for it. You're listening to I-94 right here on WLPN. We'll be back after this short interlude. I bet she waited for Walter to leave. Alone, lips sealed, not moving the slightest. A woman looking for her son can turn invisible like a cat stalking a pigeon. I got it, she was looking for somebody. I started noticing a special trait in people who were looking for someone. A mark near the eyes, the mouth, a mixture of pain, anger, strength, and the expectation made flesh. A thing broken, possessed by the person who wasn't coming back. I opened the door and let the woman in. She sat opposite me. She set a can down on the table and stared. Didn't even blink. What was it? Money? Chocolate? Fancy folk can do that, I thought. Stuff a bunch of chocolate and cash in a can and set it right in front of you. So you'll say yes, even if you don't want to. I didn't like her. She started talking. For her husband, she said. It was always nothing. Sometimes kids fall behind. Sometimes kids disappear. And it had been like that in the past, when Ian was two years old and he couldn't walk. And it was like that now, when he was 16 and hadn't come home. I didn't want to listen, not for all the chocolate in the world. But she went on, that his absence was killing her, that her body hurt now more than when she'd given birth to him. Ian, she said. My son. He never hurt a soul, you know. He couldn't. 
Scared she'd never shut up, I cut in. What's in the can? Earth. I didn't want to, but the woman opened the can and left it there. The memory of Earth turned to water in my mouth. Dark Earth shone inside, and some part of me responded without words. I didn't want to, but my body did. I touched the dirt like it meant everything. I pulled it towards me without lifting it from the table. Turn around, I said. You can't watch. She didn't much like that. She took her time, molded over, then got up and turned her chair to face the other way. She didn't try to steal a look. I grabbed some earth from the can and bit by bit stuffed it in my mouth. The house grew dark like it'd been covered in a black sheet. I had the urge to switch the light on. To keep the night, which the earth had unfurled around us from swallowing us up. Everything was so dark, so like a deep well untouched by the sun, no good could come of it. When I was about to stop, to quit out of fear and open my eyes, the darkness retreated as if somebody had lit some candles one by one. My eyes got used to seeing again. Though I couldn't make out much, I heard everything clearly. Her voice, the woman's. She said, screamed, Ian! And after yelling his name over and over there in the brightest spot in the heart of the light, a little boy around eight years old emerged. He wasn't a clever pup, but a strange, lost-looking boy. The light that shone from his body was weak, sickly, sad. The woman kept saying, Ian, Ian, without waiting for an answer. She gripped him hard by the hand and started tugging at him. I tried to make out the boy, but couldn't. A man appeared beside the woman and spoke to her. Did you find him? Yeah, can't leave the kid alone, not even to pee. Where was he? Behind the birthday party, on his own. Who took him there? I did, I thought he could wait five minutes. Like a secret, a secret the man didn't want to know, they fell quiet, they were looking at him. Then the man asked, why'd you leave him on his own? Cause I can't right take him to the bathroom with me, can I? He's 11. Means nothing though, his age means nothing, the man said, and they both went quiet again, as though the sad light that radiated from Ian were weakening their bodies too. The man got mad again and recovered some of his strength. Stop making excuses. Don't you care about him? The boy stood between them. Then he began to shuffle to the side, like he wasn't even listening. He looked up ahead of him. I tried to make out what he saw, but found nothing. They spoke as if the little boy wasn't there. I tried to get a better look, but he slipped away from me. The voices grew quieter and quieter. I got tired of trying to listen to what they said, of trying to see what the earth chose not to show me. I opened my eyes. The house was darker than the night that swaddled the lost boy. It's no use, I told the woman. I can barely see him. Only you, Donny. Arguing with a man who keeps asking why you left Ian alone. The woman grieved and sadder. All of a sudden, she bounced back and said, His dad. I can see the two of you, Donny, but the kid keeps slipping away. The woman dropped her head and cried in silence. She opened her purse to look for something to dry her eyes with, I thought except she pulled out a wad of money and a stack of photographs instead. She placed the pictures on the notes, there were so many of them, and pushed them towards me. It was the little snot. I thumbed through the first few photos. In them, he was older and wore the same lost expression. That's not how it works. Okay, she said, looking up. So how do we make it work? And that was an excerpt from the new novel by Dolores Reyes. She's an Argentine writer. The book is called Earth Eater. It's out now from Harper Villa, and we are speaking with the translator, Julia Sanchez. Just before that reading, uh, we were talking about uh, the fact that the crimes in this book, because this is, in a way, a sort of police procedural, are kind of solved in a no-drama, no-fuss, no-muss method, which is uh, very engaging, personally. I, I thought that was a much better way than these kind of high drama American crime books that I'm frankly rather tired of. But one of the interesting things about it is the relationship that the rest of the people in the village or neighborhood have with the protagonist. Um, there's a real discomfort over her ability to do this, yet uh, they're constantly leaving vials of earth or bottles and leaving pictures of lost people. And you, you kind of get the impression that uh, she is a kind of mysterious figure on the periphery of this community, but also um, an extremely valued resource that is both kind of feared yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, slightly ashamed of, but also very necessary. 
Could what? you could you talk a little bit about that? And could I just tag a little onto that before uh, we let Julia talk? Sorry, Julia, but I was also going to say too. Uh, but for the reader, I you don't fear her or experience that. For me, I was just like, this seems kind of like a normal kid, except for the fact that she eats dirt and sees in the future <laughs> yeah, or in yeah, the past. And, right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and so that was a cool dichotomy for me, just like the way she's viewed in the community and then the way she's viewed as a reader. And I thought the yeah. way that it was put together yeah. was great. Yeah. It actually, as you were saying that, I thought of um, the way historically women who might have been um, categorized as witches have been perceived. Like people fear them, but they become integral or healers. They become integral to the community in a way because they need their knowledge. And I think that maybe um, Earth Eater is in the same position, except that she, as you were saying, is just a kid who isn't going to school and is trying to figure out how to pass the time and find some direction to her life that doesn't involve being the one who has to carry all of the responsibility of other people's failures which is, you know, the failure to be kind to one another and instead, you know, disappear. Um, I mean, the, the, I use the word disappear because um, the idea of los desaparecidos is so entrenched in Latin America. And I think the book also taps into that. When you said absent instead of dead, that's also the case with desaparecidos. You didn't know if they were absent or dead. And for many that would have lasted for years. And of course she she's also her name's also absent. You know yeah, we, we yeah, really I was gonna we say don't that. know which is which is also uh, I think kind of that's very intentional, you know. I didn't even realize it till I read the last page. Uh, well, that I didn't know uh, her name. Well, I, yeah, I mean I think and I think that was testimony to how well the story was told. Yeah, but I mean I think the that's a I was, I was assuming that's a deliberate decision that that Dolores Reyes made and and for listeners who are not familiar with the the sad history of some of the Latin American and, and Central Amer and South American countries um in Argentina a military junta disappeared a number of their citizens. Uh, they were actually taken out and killed for political reasons, uh, and that has been a major scar in the country. Um, but it's still happening. It, well, it, it, it is in, in certain ways, not necessarily at the same level. There was a, a period where in Argentina the government, a military government oh, oh, specifically, yeah, yeah, was yeah. you know um, assassinating people. Now, I think when we think about the, the disappearances of, of women— here in America, I think we think of what's happening in Ciudad Juarez and, you know, the maquiladores on the border, uh, partly because of Roberto Bolaño's 2666, which I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, but could you talk a little bit about that, this kind of absence in the book? Because I have to think the author made a very deliberate decision not to give this young woman a name, which says a great deal uh, as well. That's a, that's a pretty pregnant thing to do in a book. I'm wondering aloud here, um, I think, like one of you, I can't remember who said this, um, I, her personhood occupies so much space in the book that a name almost feels unnecessary. And because it's the first person narration, um, there aren't that many occasions for her to be called by her name, especially considering there isn't a great deal of speech in the book. Um, a lot of it happens internally. But I mean, from the very beginning, we have the absence of her mother who is killed by her father, and then the sudden absence of her father, um, who, I, who I believe runs away, though his he has he also has a very um, mysterious position in the book. And then one by one, these adult figures these not just adults, but other people around her start dropping off the map as the sort of full, as they become fully aware of her power, um, which is something that they can't understand, which is sort of shrouded in mystery. Um, there's her sister, her, her teacher who disappears, her aunt who we didn't like anyway, disappears after she and her brother are almost shot 
um, Ibnan, who, who was the guy she was seeing at the beginning of the book, vanishes from her life. Um, it's a very solitary novel, though there is a lot of solidarity between the two the two siblings. I love that. I think that must also be important because, you know, again, Dolores, as the mother of seven, would have seen these relationships, how strong the bonds between brothers and sisters can be. With that, we need to take a quick break for station identification and reminding folks of the good people that help make Lumpen Radio possible. You are listening to I-94. Right after the break, we're going to hear another excerpt from Dolores Reyes' novel. That is Earth Theater. It's out from Harper Via. You're listening to WLPN. And now back to I-94 on Lumpen Radio. Someone had tossed a piece of paper over the property fence and I followed it with my eyes. They didn't care to clap or to call out, too scared to even say my name. The wind whipped the paper across the tall grass. God loves you, it read, and I wish the wind would take it away from there past the wire fence which was as far as I went barefoot. There were no voices anymore to say, your feet are trailing muck. You've got mud in your teeth and fingers, said the mother of my classmate, Florencia, when she decided to stop letting her hang out with me. Others didn't have the guts to come through the gate and instead leave their loved ones earth in bottles. They'd leave a card, too, and slung around the bottleneck, a name. I took the bottles and arranged them in the plants. The sun glinted off them. Whenever it rained too heavily, the water crept inside and overflowed, mixing their earth with mine. Every bottle was a morsel of earth that could speak. Marta... Florencia's mother, did come past the gate. It'd been years since I'd seen her. She barged in like she owned the place. She wanted to pay for the appointment, she said. No, Marta, I can't take your money. As we stepped into my house, I didn't mention to Marta, who thought that she was all that because she and Florencia went to church on Sundays, her girl blonde and promising as a red paper wasp, that I'd missed her daughter after she stopped letting her come over. The thing is, I saw Marta's eyes pure dark circles from crying. We went in so that I could sit down and she could park her fat ass on the tiny sofa of my suite, and so I could eat the earth that she had brought with her out of the palm of her hand so that she could ask, always nosing around, always in a rush, what do you see? What do you see? A car drove past wearing corazón de seda que no lo tiene cualquiera, and I thought of Florencia's clothes, which weren't as tattered as her skin, and of Florencia down there, like the roots of our land's plants and the stubborn ants marching down their tunnels. Marta wouldn't shut up. She was starting to get on my nerves. She thought she was better than everybody because the only blonde head in the barrio belonged to her Florencia and, in church made of plaster, to baby Jesus. What do you see? What do you see? I had to gather my strength to open my eyes and say, Settle down, Marta. I see a lot of light. I had never cried with eyes shut. I saw Florencia maggot-ridden like a sickly heart, her hair a spiderweb peeling off her skull. Settle down, Martha. Seeing hurts my eyes. She's fine. Her hair looks like it's catching the sun. Marta breathed again, so deeply her chest looked bigger than her ass. Open your eyes then, Nina. Why are you crying? She said as she gripped me with both hands. Though her hands were warm, I kept my eyes sealed. I wondered. Is Florencia cold down there in the earth? So unlike swimming, so unlike being formed long ago in that woman's warm belly. Florencia's mother wouldn't let go. This time the earth didn't make her shudder. She didn't even notice the muck under my nails. She'll come visit once she's back. I'm sure she will. Go easy, Marta. You won't have to look after her anymore. Florencia was always such a beautiful girl. God loves her. I walked Marta to the gate in my bare feet and stood around barefoot killing time, glancing down at the bottles stashed in the plants. Some had been there a while and were slowly becoming buried, rooted, their letters and names and phone numbers soiled by water and by time, which blotted out everything but the pain of the person who'd brought them there and the need, all gone but one, to know where they were. I didn't know about the house, but the earth, underneath everything, was mine. 
Welcome back. This is I-94. As always, my name is Mr. Jamie Trecker. I'm joined by Mr. Jeremy Kitchen. Howdy. And Mr. Michael Sack. Yeah, hello. Today, we're in conversation with the translator, Julia Sanchez. She is the translator behind the new novel, Earth Theater. It's out from Harper Villa. It was written by the Argentine author, Dolores Reyes. And right before we returned, we heard another excerpt from that book. Uh, and before the break, we were actually talking about the familial bonds uh, of this very um, spare and somewhat strange novel, uh, and one of the things you brought up, Julia, was the character of uh, the nameless protagonist, uh, the narrator's father, uh, who will make a late appearance in the book. And I don't want to give any spoilers away. But can we delve into this a little bit? Because many of the characters um, in the book that disappear obviously are women. Uh, and yet this person who is, we already know he has killed the narrator's mother. He is going to come back in the end and uh, make a very, uh, in a way, uh, retaliatory kind of statement. Uh, and again, I don't want to give any spoilers for it, but could you talk about the kind of impact this person who kind of hangs over the book for maybe three quarters of it has? I would actually love um, to hear what you think, because the figure of the father, the father figure is, something that was he was very elusive to me i didn't quite i couldn't quite put my finger on what he meant to the protagonist because clearly she has some affection for him but he also killed her mother um so i'm i'm a bit i i i don't know what to say about the father i'd be very curious to hear um it's hard. You it's about it. It's hard to talk about without giving too much away. But um, he, uh, what I thought about him, because he was only in the book for a page or two. Yeah, maybe five pages total. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I kind of had to uh, apply abstract concepts to him instead of thinking of him as as a person, and he just reminded me of the irrationality of of. of humans you know like he and i like that he wasn't just like pure evil he wasn't he wasn't a stand-in for you know every macho um misogynist guy in latin american culture he was he was yeah i mean he he was but he also wasn't you know again again, it's hard to talk about right i i kind of thought about him more as a, a demon and like the kind of traditional catholic tradition you know, whereas a demon is not necessarily evil. They can be tricksters, they can be, but they have very deep impacts. You know what I mean? I thought of it more in the kind of traditional Catholic tradition, this figure, huh. uh, a, a destructive force, but also one that uh, strikes to preserve the family in a weird way. Um, you know, that I think, you know, the, the Catholic tradition in South American and, and Latin American literature is so strong that sometimes we kind of forget about that, that many of the people that are writing these books probably came up in that way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think, you know, both Mike and I are, are not Catholic and, and Jeremy isn't either. So, you know, this isn't something we necessarily grew up with. But when you when you read books in that region, it's really kind of important to keep that in mind, that there is this shared culture that, that we don't have and that there is a, a language around it and a, a set of motifs that... Um, I think is kind of unconscious, but that readers there pick up on just as you and I would pick up if we were reading, you know, Philip Roth, we would know, yeah. you know, the, the, the tones of yeah. a, a Seder or, you know, Judaism. It's, that's interesting. I, I didn't, I didn't get that from the dad. I got that from the, the narrator. Yeah. You know, I, I get that feeling. Well, that's why I put it onto the father. And, and I don't know if that's something that, that you saw or agree with either, Julia, but that, that was one thing that I felt there was this kind of quiet Catholicism through the book um, that I, I certainly picked up on. I think that's a really great take um, about the father. And especially, again, it's so hard not to give anything away. Yeah, but he <laughs> comes to us again at this very strange moment where we seem to have traveled to a place that is both not far and, ex- and very different and very exclusive. Um, and I just, uh, I wanted to note that it's not only women who disappear from the book, but there's also, um, a young man. Uh, Hernan, Hernan, right? Yeah. 
Uh, no, Hernan dies. Oh, right. Sorry. He's. I'm sorry. Yeah, he does. He will die. But, but. That's okay. Joe. It's all right. He will, That's he will usually die. what we do. Um, I'm thinking of one of the. I think the first person who disappears is a young man whose mother. Oh, who you're right. Special needs. Yes, right, right. And there's also um, the 11 year old boy. Yeah, yeah. Boy. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And these are also. I think she's saying people who are often neglected by society at large. Um, who are very vulnerable to to a place where I would I don't want to say violence is rampant, but it, it's certainly an undercurrent. It's it's people that can be taken advantage of in, in a lot of ways, or of, people that won't be noticed if they go missing. Exactly, kind of. I mean, that happens here too. And and that was what I was going to say. Actually, I was going to add on to that. That it, it's more. The the violence and the horror in the book is more the kind of everyday there, violence. I think when we've been talking about the book, just because we're trying not to give certain key elements of way, we may be giving listeners the impression that this is kind of a, a strange magic thing. And it really is closer to a police procedural that you would read about kids in Chicago that go missing, vulnerable yeah. kids that go missing. Well, and it, well, I, I didn't, I, I didn't read the Catholicism. I definitely read... You know, uh, how do you say which? Is it Bruja? Bruja. Bruja. Yeah. 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 I saw uh, a little bit of that and just, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. Catholicism, I was actually, for me, I was thinking like witchcraft or Santeria or something like that. Not necessarily Catholicism, but for me, religion wasn't an overtone in the in the book. And I I thought of it was more as just like a kid growing up. I, 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 um, I mentioned that earlier, but to me that, I mean, I just, a lot of times when people write about kids, um, I'm a librarian, Julian, I used to be a, a children's librarian. I've read a lot of young adult literature. And one of the things that drives me nuts is people will write about kids and they write about kids as an adult. And you're looking at it through like an adult's eyes. And in this novel, I actually felt like Earth Eater, since we don't have her name, um, it was a very good representation of, of, a, of a child. And or, or, you know, a, a young woman growing up. And obviously, I'm, I'm sure that ties in with Reyes's very large family. But that was that's what that was the main thing that I saw. I, I, I guess I wasn't looking at it from a spiritual or criminal uh, thing. I was more looking at this kid and, and her abilities and her struggles with her abilities. That was the, the my main takeaway. Well, you know, now that I, that I think about it, you know, like I said, by the end of the book, it was only when I read the last word that I realized that I didn't know her name. And that's when I realized how much of an impact the book had on me. Um, and one thing I'm just realizing now talking about it is how big the element of love is in the book and how uh, subtle it is. It's really not obvious at all, but I feel like it it it, um, it it creates the tension that holds the story together. This this young woman st is still trying to figure out a way to, to love and to enjoy life and to enjoy people um but it wasn't it wasn't in that like cheesy young adult way where like mm. she falls in love and everything turns out okay it was like she took things where she could get it her relationship with her brother is really endearing that was powerful to me even though there weren't there wasn't like a dramatic arc to her and her brothers and that's what i liked about it i think is yeah. there was no arc to their um sibling because it was just kind of a natural yeah. yeah and then she has a love mm. interest who's like she's having fun with and might be in love with might not be and she's he's he's intertwined into these disappearing people well, he's a cop right yeah so yeah and and, and he, she also has a negative opinion of cops to begin with like most of the mm -hmm. kids in the neighborhood and you know it's it's hard to love and maybe that's where i see the the religious part is like there's <clears throat> no there's no church there's no family there's nothing to show her how to, you know, hold and carry the bonds of love, and it just is. Yeah, you yeah, know, she's yeah. she's just learning as she goes along. Yeah, and I, you know, Julia, I I don't know. It, it was interesting to, to get back to something you said at the very start. How you know you do pay attention because of your job to literature that's coming out, and you know, this got rapturous reviews in its home country. There have been a number of um, films and TV series, particularly on, on Netflix and HBO, about young people and young people with superpowers. You know, that, that's a, a weird little wave that we're seeing. 
uh, whether it's, you know, WandaVision on HBO Max or Euphoria on, on HBO. There, there is this more adult take on young people's lives, but with this kind of spin of they have some kind of ability. Um, and I'm wondering, maybe this is not a fair question to ask, but there seems to be something in the, the water right now that is producing these kinds of stories. And I wondered if, you know, in your kind of survey of literature from the region, is this kind of a trend you're seeing? And is this something that, you know, made this book stand out for you? I think Earth Theater is almost unlike anything I've ever read. And it, as you were saying earlier, if someone had described it to me, I might not have felt compelled to read it. But she does, um, she does something quite unusual. And to briefly go back to the question of young adult literature, there was a while while I was reading a lot of young adult literature, and I think uh, for work again, and I think a less skilled writer might have had the brother wondering fighting with his sister about whether or not he should actually be taking care of her. But there's something so assumed and settled about the way they are with one another, because the author isn't trying to force drama where there is none. There is love there and she respects that. And then she moves on. That's such Um, an American why. And again, I'm not saying this is a why novel because it's not, um, but that's such a why it's like everything has to be like handed to you on a plate, you know, and it's kids are smarter than that. That's another story. But um, I, the subtleness is is, is uh, amazing. And I, I agree with that. There's also this premise in I mean, it's been a while since I've read a lot of YA, um, but there's also this premise in a lot of YA written in the U.S. where like you kill off the parents to generate empathy but even though Earth Eater's parents disappear, you don't, the, gen, the empathy isn't generated because of that loss. It comes from something somewhere else altogether. Um, well, it's almost I, because she has a lack of empathy. Like, I empathize with the, the narrator's lack of empathy. Like, she, she's bugged. She's irritated by these people coming to her all the time. Even though they've experienced tragedy, she's like, yeah, so what? So have I. Like, you know, I'm doing this because you're going to give me cash. And it's like, and then when she keeps experiencing tragedy after tragedy, it's almost impossible not to empathize with her. It's like I had to I had to do the work of reading and, like, imagining a little bit to, to get there with her. Well, and then buying a video game system with the, the money she earned from this. You know, that was such a, that was very realistic to me. It was like, yeah. you know, if I was... Eating and a towel and figuring things out. I try yeah. to buy a video game system too. Yeah, yeah. You know? And her own towel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I and you know, I think again, we're uh we're getting short on time, unfortunately. But uh one of the things that we're we're also talking around, and I'm glad you brought it up, it is true that you know, normally in a lot of books, when we are talking about kids, the big hole in their lives is because the parents aren't there or the parents have disappeared. This book, that doesn't seem to be the case. And in fact, as we talked about earlier, the father is a completely different, arguably malign force. You know, um, What is interesting about her is that her family, uh, which I think is actually very true to life, is one that she's created with her, you know, her brother and uh, other and people around her and her friends. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that in a way, one of the things that the author Reyes is doing is saying that, you know, in where she is in in Buenos Aires, this is actually how people are kind of creating a family because so many parents are absent. So many people have gone missing. There is so much poverty. And yet there's no condescension to to these people. And I think, you know, sometimes in, in American books, there's this subtle upper class you know, I, I can't use the word I would use, but, you know, kind of crapping on these people. You know what I mean? And that doesn't happen in this book. There's there's always a tremendous amount of respect for these characters and really no kind of looking down on uh, their social situation or their financial status. Yeah, she, she's even empathetic with a cop, you know, the character that is widely disliked in that community, a character that's widely disliked in that community. I think what this book doesn't do that 
not to like push America under the bus, but that an American author might do is moralize. Yeah. There are drugs and there's no judgment. Like kids are yeah. going to smoke weed and drink beer and they do that. And this is where this is. She's just sort of presenting it as. Yeah, is. She never goes to rehab. Nobody gets hit by a bus. You know what I mean? And as Reagan slamping the wrist. Yeah. Up. Yeah. No. And I think that's a, that's an excellent point. There's also um, just as there, the consequences in this book come from other things. There's, you know, there, there is no in, in American fiction. I think there probably would be some sort of um, dramatic comeuppance that comes from her relationship with the police officer, which is a sexual relationship. In, in this book, there isn't one. It's just something that that's there. It's happened. And it's not made either that big a deal of either. It's just there. Yeah. It creates yeah. tension, but it's not a centerpiece of the Yeah, it's, it's not a main plot point, story. I would yeah. say. Yeah. I think um, one thing that's worth noting is also there's so much hope. Even though there are all of these awful things happening around her, there's also um, a sense that the youth is strong and that they will sort of, they, they are our future in a way. I think that's, um, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but I have a feeling that that is something that Dolores would believe that, I, um, I feel like that is it's portrayed that way. And it's because they have to be, I agree too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Julia, we're running out of time here real quickly. Uh, and we've been speaking, by the way, again, with Julia Sanchez. She's the translator of a brand new novel out. It's called Earth Eater by the Argentine author Dolores Reyes. It's out by Harper Via. Can you talk, first of all, um, what's next for you? I mean, you're a translator. You do a lot of other stuff. Do you just work in Spanish? Do you do other things? I translate. I'm Brazilian, actually. Oh, no um, kidding. My family's from there. I was born there, but I've lived everywhere for most of my life. Okay. I also translate from Portuguese and Catalan. Yep. And in the next few months, I have a translation from Portuguese, a translation from Catalan, and a translation from Spanish coming out. Quite different to Earth Eater. <laughs> yeah, we, we actually have a Catalan book coming up. Uh, what is it, the story of Juan Orpi? Is that right? Yeah, did you translate Joan that Orpe? one for Open Letter? Oh, no, that's Mar uh, Mara Fate-Lethem. She is a genius. Yeah, it's, uh, a great, it's a great translation. It's a great book. Chad's a friend of mine, so we do we, we have a really good relationship with yeah. Open Letters. So. I love that all the translators know each other. Yeah, yeah. Do you guys have, like, a little Facebook group that you guys all go into? Uh, it's a really, really small world secret yeah. handshake yeah. yeah it's like crossword constructors and comic book artists i love it <laughs> well thank you all for the work you yeah do. yeah julia thank you. thank you for your work yeah it's and amazing. thank you so much for speaking with us today uh just one final note guys if you're looking to get into uh this book that we've talked about today it is available at local libraries and of course you can support your local independent bookstore uh julia thanks so much we really appreciate it we'll keep an eye on for you and thanks for talking about this book and thank you for talking about the work of uh the author dolores reyes Thank you. I loved hearing all your thoughts about the book. It was so interesting. Great. We'll be back on the next I-94 with uh, who's up next? Chelsea Chel Summers. Chelsea Summers. We're going to be talking to another person that's not in translation. She's an author from New York City writing about sex, drugs, and cannibalism. And we'll catch you next week on I-94. Earth Eater. The place where you learn to eat Earth no longer exists. Everything will come crashing down, said Senorita Ana in my dream. I looked around. I didn't know where we were. It wasn't my barrio or the junkyard. What is this place? I told you not to go back, that it wasn't allowed, Anna added. Look at me now. They're coming for you. Will you keep on seeing? No. What about me? What about everything you promised? I don't want to anymore, Anna. But you could find them, have them locked up, for me. They'll keep killing out there, don't you get it? Her voice was so horrifying, I woke up. Walter, what if we went away? I couldn't tell if he was asleep, but the moment he heard me, he turned around and stuffed his head under a pillow. It made me happy to see him asleep in that bed. For a few minutes, it was like nothing happened. I waited, listened to him breathing. When I was about to leave, he said, put the kettle on. I turned on the burger, filled the kettle, set it on the stovetop, and stood watching the flame. My brother came in, opened the fridge, took out a bottle of water. He poured a glass and stood next to me, propped against the wall. We watched the flames as he drank. 
Remember when you forgot the old man's kettle and it went totally black? He wanted to kill you. I watched the kettle till it clouded my mind. I didn't think I'd be so sad to leave. Instead of answering, I asked, What about the bottles? Walter took another sip of water and said, The bottles stay. We kept on watching the fire in silence. Though I could tell the kettle was getting too hot, I didn't move. Walter turned off the burner, held the kettle under the faucet, and let a stream of water pour over it. Meanwhile, I grabbed the mate and the half-empty packet of yerba. We sat at the table in the suite. Not long after, Musaria showed up at the door and came in without knocking. She glanced at the mate and sat down next to us. She was smiling differently. I can get some scratch from selling my bike. I'll bring the tools, though. They might come in handy, my brother said, as though it was just the two of us. I'm done with the earth, I said to Walter, who said nothing. Misaria looked at me, wide-eyed. I handed the mate to my brother, who passed it to her after filling it with water. Their fingers brushed. Where will we go? I asked. I don't know why, but I wanted them to stop touching. I'm coming with you, Misaria cut in. Hell no, said Walter, and he slammed the mate on the table to show the conversation was over. Misaria didn't care. Instead, she grew bolder. I'll tell my ma I got a job and come with you. We looked at each other, Walter and me. What sorts of jobs can you even do, he said. Hell if I know, but she'll let me come with you if I tell her I got a job. I said nothing but thought of how Mizaria must be much older than I was when my old lady was killed, and that I liked the thought of her coming with us. We were quiet for a long time, then Mizaria said, We'll take the mate, and laughed. And I could tell Walter was crazy about her. He got up and walked towards where I sat. He kissed me on the forehead. Let's go, little sis, he said. Lumpen Radio's Books and Literature program, airing every Sunday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Central. This episode featured Dolores Reyes and Julia Sanchez in discussion of Reyes's novel Earth Eater, out now from HarperCollins. This episode originally aired on February 11, 2021. I-94 is a Lumpen Radio production, with readings by Shanna Van Bolt, show intro and promo voiced by David Green, music by Laurie Johnson and Bill Bennett from the KPM Archive. For more information on I-94 and for past episodes, visit eye94.org. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com.